0: Mr. President, it's not the fake news media that's your problem. It's you. Oh, my.
1: And that was Fox News talking. Oh, my.
2: Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. One reason. I got the feeling there's something right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. Let me choke us to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle
1: with From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the Bradcast, as heard on KPFK. 90.7 FM in L.A., up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast, 106.7 FM KSO in Cottage Grove. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 92.9 FM WLRI, in Maui, Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio on 94.1 FM WGRN, in Palinville, New York on 102.9 FM WLPP, in Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR, in Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We're also heard streaming across the globe, on the internets, on the Progressive Voices channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Detour Talk, Radio Monterey, and Radio Sputnik. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow says me... From Bradblog.com, thank you for joining us for another thrilling, action-packed adventure that we call The Bradcast. Well, on Sunday, President Donald Trump suggested that there may be more revelations to come from fired FBI Director James Comey, and Trump questioned their legality. He tweeted early on Sunday morning, I believe the James Comey leaks will be far more prevalent than anyone ever thought possible. Totally illegal? Very cowardly. Donald Trump made similar remarks on Friday in another uh, early morning tweet where he labeled Comey a leaker, referring to Comey's decision to share the contents of memos, unclassified memos, about his own conversations with Trump uh, to the to the press via a friend. Comey, the fired FBI director, revealed that uh, revealed that decision during his testimony on Thursday before the Senate Intelligence Committee, while painting uh, Trump as a liar and testifying that Trump tried to obtain a loyalty pledge from the former FBI head and pushed him to drop an investigation into former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn. Um, well, whether Comey is a leaker or not, is certainly disputable at very best, at the very best. Uh, There is no evidence that I'm aware of that uh, Comey leaked any classified information, any classified material. And as far as we know, he only shared the details of an unclassified memo concerning a private Oval Office conversation with Trump that he wrote, in which Comey says he felt he was being pressured by Trump to end the FBI's probe Of Michael Flynn. At best, Trump might have claimed that those were privileged conversations that Comey released. Presidents have asserted a legal authority to keep international international internal uh, deliberations with advisors private. But Trump uh, didn't do that here, nor is it likely he could have because he himself had publicly discussed details of those conversations. And in any event, he did not attempt to exercise that, uh, that claim that the uh, conversation was privileged in advance of Comey's testimony last week to the uh, U.S. Senate Intelligence Committee. So to call Comey a leaker for sharing his own unclassified and documented recollections of a, of a conversation in which the president may well have broken the law by attempting to obstruct justice, that's not unlawful despite Trump's insinuation to the contrary on on Twitter and elsewhere. Uh, An NSA contractor releasing highly classified top secret documents to the media, that, on the other hand, that's another matter. And that's what a a 25-year-old Air Force vet turned NSA contractor by the name of Reality Lee Winner was uh, arrested for and charged with doing last week after she copied and sent top-secret documents to the media outlet The Intercept, which uh, subsequently published redacted versions of those documents, regarding an intelligence community community analysis of the counterintelligence probe into allegations that Russia attempted to interfere in the 2016 presidential election. Now, I don't know that anyone disagrees that the release of those documents, the, that that act itself was unlawful. Those were classified documents, highly classified. But whether it was the right thing to do, that's a different question. Whether the leaker in this case or whistleblower, as some seer, was attempting to carry out espionage, As the government is now charging against her or whether she was just attempting to blow the whistle as a journalistic source with information of public interest that needed to be known to the public, that's a more difficult question. And on that, we'll speak shortly to another whistleblower who also copied and released privileged documents uh, to the media. In regard to uh, concerns also regarding elections tampering, and we'll talk about how how his case is both similar and dissimilar to that of reality winners and and about the agonizing decision making process that he uh, and other such well-meaning whistleblowers and journalistic sources must go through before deciding to release documents like that to the public. And then, and then pay the legal price for having done so. So that's coming up shortly. In the meantime, things are not going well. Uh, at least legally for Donald Trump. Uh, is is that an understatement, Jesse Doyen, <laughs> at this point?
3: I, I think that that would be a very, very well said understatement. Yeah, yeah.
1: very very under. Uh, I think it might be the most obvious thing I've ever reported. Things are not going well <laughs> for him uh,
3: legally and
1: just, you know, judicially, just in the courts. So whether you support him and his policies or not, simply based on lawsuits against him, and his administration and the court rulings find finding against his administration. Things are not going very well at this moment for the president, no matter how may one may try to, to spin all of it and the decisions, the rulings by the courts. And they haven't been going uh, well for him on a legal and judicial basis really since the day he took office in January. And today, Trump faced yet another adverse ruling in yet another federal court. As AP notes, uh, another U.S. appeals court stomped, that's their word, stomped on President Donald Trump's revised travel ban on Monday, saying the administration violated federal immigration law and failed to provide a valid reason for keeping people from six mostly Muslim nations from coming to the country. The decision, by a unanimous three-judge panel of the San Francisco-based Ninth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals, helps keep the travel ban blocked, and deals Trump a second big legal defeat on the policy, a second one in just the less than the, the past three weeks. A second federal appeals court on Monday, according to the New York Times, ruled against Trump's revised travel ban, ban and that decision from the U.S. Uh, court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit in San Francisco, was the latest in a string of court rulings rejecting the administration's effort to limit travel from several predominantly Muslim countries. The administration also uh, had sought a Supreme Court review of a similar decision. In that case, it was 10-3 to 3 against the administration that was issued um, last month by the United States Court of Appeals for the Fourth Circuit in Richmond, Virginia. The Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals, last month, had cited uh, the president's campaign statements as evidence that the 90-day ban in the uh, in the two different executive orders that he's tried now, uh, that that was unconstitutional and, quote, steeped in animus and directed at a single religious group. So that was based on things he said during the campaign, like he wanted a complete and total shutdown of Muslims coming into the U.S. But the Ninth Circuit... Uh, who, whose uh, decision uh, was released today, uh, they heard arguments in Seattle last month in Hawaii's challenge to the ban, found no need to analyze Trump's campaign statements. The Ninth Circuit ruled based simply on immigration law, not on the Constitution itself. The three-judge panel said immigration, even for the president, is not a one-person show. The president's authority is subject to certain statutory and constitutional restraints. The Fourth Circuit panel's panel said the, uh, said the travel ban violated immigration law by discriminating against people based on their nationality when it comes to issuing visas and by failing to demonstrate that their entry would hurt American interests. The president's order, they said did not provide any link between the nationality of those banned by the order and their propensity to commit terrorism. In short, the panel said the order does not provide a rationale explaining why permitting entry of nationals from the six designated countries under the current protocols would be detrimental to the interests of the United States. Because of the conflict with immigration law on its own, the judges, all three, by the way, in this case, were appointed by uh, Bill Clinton in this Ninth Circuit uh, decision. Um, The judges said that they didn't need even to consider whether the order also violated the Constitution's prohibition on the government favoring or disfavoring any religion. They found uh, that's what the Fourth Circuit Court had found the uh, the uh, the executive order to be unconstitutional policy uh, on that basis. So in, in an earlier decision back in February, the Ninth Circuit had also blocked Trump's travel ban, his original travel ban. After that ruling, Trump narrowed the scope to, to issue this second one uh, issued on January 27, just one week into his presidency. And that 90 day suspension well over 90 days ago, by the way, was, you know, supposedly so that he would have time to put in place a extreme vetting to keep people out of the country. Well, it's been 90 days. Has he taken care of that extreme vetting even without this executive order since it's been blocked, since it's been put in place? In any event, uh, it was rejected uh, originally by the uh, district court in Hawaii, and that ruling has now been upheld by the Ninth Circuit Appellate Court, which uh, basically echoed a very similar finding by the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals just a week or two ago. Both travel bans have now been rejected by the court, by court, after court, after court, at both the district level and the appeals level, over and again. So now the case will go to the U.S. Supreme Court, where Trump and the Republicans, as you'll recall, have stolen a seat, the one that is now occupied by Justice Neil Gorsuch, uh, in order to retain that five to four majority of Republican appointees on that court. That may come in very handy uh, on this particular case.
3: Well, it will be very interesting since both the Fourth Circuit and the Ninth Circuit have not joined with the idea. So we'll see yeah, what, they the, both what the stolen seat it Gorsuch comes up with.
1: Yeah, uh, we will see what uh, yeah what the U.S. Supreme Court can uh, pull out of their robes, so to speak. <laughs> uh, so we will see that uh, we'll see what they do uh, now that the matter is essentially. Finally in their hands. And that's not the only bad court news, by the way, of late for Trump. In fact, that's not the only bad court news today for Donald Trump. Attorneys general for the District of Columbia and the state of Maryland sued President Trump on Monday, alleging that he has violated anti-corruption clauses in the Constitution by accepting millions of dollars in payments and benefits from foreign governments since he moved into the White House. The lawsuit, according to The Washington Post, is the first of its kind brought by government entities and centers on the fact that Trump chose to retain ownership of his company when he became president. Trump said in January he was shifting his business assets into a trust managed by his sons in order to eliminate potential conflicts of interest. But both uh, the D.C. Attorney General Carl Racine and the Maryland Attorney General Brian Frosch says say that uh, Trump has broken many promises to keep separate his public duties and his private business interests. The lawsuit alleges unprecedented constitutional violations by Donald Trump. The suit says Trump's continued ownership of a global business empire has rendered the uh, president, quote, deeply enmeshed with a legion of foreign and domestic government actors and has undermined the integrity of the U.S. political system. They write that the fundamental to a president's fidelity to faithfully execute his office, uh, his oath of office, is the Constitution's demand that the president disentangle his private finances from those of domestic and foreign powers. Never before, they say, has a president acted with such disregard for this constitutional prescription.
3: Yeah, and people may not be aware, back, like, say, for example, in 1976, when Jimmy Carter became president, he was forced to sell off his private family peanut farm. His peanut
1: farm. He yeah. had to
3: sell the whole thing.
1: Yeah, Oh, well, he and it was pressured at the time by Republicans yeah. to do so, Republicans who don't seem to much care about the fact that Trump is still running this uh you know multinational n- Moulton- yeah. country a company all over the world and taking payments from these companies for various things very uh, i'm sorry from these various countries for these various things provided by his company uh so we'll see if this goes through if it, if this is allowed to stand there's been a number of other cases brought forward uh concerning uh conflicts of interest and the emoluments clause in the constitution which bars uh, money from both federal governments and state governments, by the way. Um, but this one uh, is believed to be the most serious because it's being brought by uh, two attorneys general. Racine said he felt he obligated to sue in this case, uh, in part because Republic, the Republican-controlled Congress has not taken the president's conflict seriously. He said we're getting in, getting in here to be the check and balance that it appears Congress is unwilling to be. Um, So in case you're the these this is what in the 1700s, the drafters of the Constitution prohibited specifically any person holding any office or profit of profit or trust from accepting any present emolument office or title of any kind, whatever, from any king, prince or foreign state. Um, And another part of the Constitution offers something uh, similar when it comes to favoring one state over another. Uh, This uh, focus, this lawsuit focuses on his uh, his hotel in Washington, D.C., where apparently all kinds of people, uh, let's see, after hiring staff and holding events to cater to foreign diplomats, the embassy of Kuwait held an event at the hotel, switching its initial booking from the Four Seasons Saudi Arabia, the destination of Trump's first trip abroad, also booked rooms at the hotel through an intermediary on more than one occasion since the inauguration. Turkey held a state-sponsored event there last month, and in April, the ambassador of the country of Georgia stayed at the hotel, tweeted his compliments. Trump himself has appeared at the hotel and greeted guests repeatedly since becoming president. Uh, so this uh, this lawsuit is um, is also not good, but not good news uh, for the president of the United yeah, States.
3: Yeah, we are in uncharted territory. So I'm glad to see that there are officials of some places who are trying to step up and and bring some light to this situation and say, hey, what do we do here?
1: Uh, Now, uh, the Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington or CREW, a a nonpartisan good government group, uh, they brought a suit as well here. So there's a lot of questions about standing. Who actually has standing? And uh, D.C. and Maryland, because of the location of the hotel and other matters that they describe in the suit, they say they are definitely being harmed by uh, Trump's violation of the Constitution under the emolument Clause. But Norman Eisen, uh, who served as the chief White House ethics lawyer for President Barack Obama, he now serves as the board chairman at Crew, which is also suing. He says uh, this case represents another storm, not just a dusting of snow, but a blizzard of trouble for Donald Trump. Uh, The attorneys general say that unless Trump is reined in under this clause, Americans can never be certain that, uh, quote, underlying his travel ban, his withdrawal from the Paris Accord uh, climate deal or proposed tax cuts, they can never be assured that he is acting in the country's best interest rather than his own. Okay. uh, finally, before we get to my guest today, perhaps some good news. This might be good court news for Donald Trump, though undoubtedly bad news for voters Uh, In Georgia last week, we reported on the lawsuit filed against the state of Georgia seeking to force them to uh, to give uh, paper ballots hand counted to voters in the upcoming highly anticipated uh, and most expensive race ever by far for a U.S. House seat. This is the special election for the U.S. House seat in Georgia's sixth congressional district to fill the uh, seat vacated by Trump's Health and Human Services Secretary Tom Price. Uh, who won the seat in November by some 20 points, uh, but Trump only won the district by a little bit over one point, about one and a half points last November. So Democrats and Republicans alike see this seat now as very vulnerable in this special election between first-time Democratic candidate John Ossoff, um, who is believed uh, by and large to be tied neck and neck uh, or even leading his establishment Republican opponent, Uh, in the race. That's former uh, Georgia Secretary of State Karen Handel. As we have been reporting Georgia, we've been reporting this now I was going to say for the past few weeks, for more than a decade we have been reporting that uh, Georgia still forces voters to vote on 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting systems at the polling place. And they're going to do so again uh, in this race coming up on June 20, next Tuesday. Those systems have been unverifiable, and they've been proven to be easily manipulated through hackers and election insiders for many, many years. Making matters worse, uh, the state voter database was accessed by a major breach, uh, reportedly in early March. That brought in the FBI. Uh, On the weekend before the primary election in April, a number of electronic poll books were stolen from the truck of a poll worker. On the primary election night back in April, the electronic central tabulators failed in one of the three counties in this uh, sixth district, holding up the tally for hours at a very crucial moment when returns were coming in and and might have found that uh, the Democrat Ossoff uh, received more than the 50 percent of the vote that he would have needed to avoid this runoff altogether. So this lawsuit that was filed uh, was filed to force Georgia to allow paper ballots instead of the 100 percent unverifiable touchscreen voting systems that voters still must use that sort that uh, that suit that complaint has now been rejected in state court it has been denied and dismissed late last week the complaint was uh, was essentially tossed after a hearing the uh, the reason uh, by the court was uh, largely on technical grounds including the late date on which the complaint uh, that had sought a a restraining order to block the use of these machines Uh, The late date that it was filed and earlier rulings by the uh, by the Georgia courts finding that the secretary of state had the right to determine which voting systems were used by voters and whether they are in any way verifiable uh, as as being accurate uh, by humans or not. Doesn't matter. It's up to the secretary of state. The Secretary of state has made that ruling, made that decision. So essentially, that's why for now this case gets uh, gets tossed. So it seems that next week's uh, special House election in Georgia, where literally tens of millions of dollars, a record-shattering amount of money, is now being spent to win that seat by both candidates and both political parties uh, in an election seen by many as a bellwether for next year's 2018 midterms. That election will be run on voting machines... uh, (laughs) Overseen by the state's Republican Secretary of State, featuring a former Georgia Secretary of State herself as one of the candidates who previously oversaw those machines, they'll be run on these 100% unverifiable systems. So if there's any questions about the results that they report uh, in in what is believed to be a very close election at this day, at this date, uh, for a seat in the U.S. House of Representatives, if there's any question about the results that are reported, well, uh, too bad. There will likely not be a damn thing that anyone can or will be allowed to do about it, whether uh, whatever the numbers are, whether they're accurate or not. And as luck would have it, it was those exact same dbold touchscreen voting machines, the ones that are still used in Georgia. As luck would have it, they were first put in use back in 2002 across the state. As luck would have it, my guest today face serious legal jeopardy for exposing uh, these systems as being vulnerable, as being unverifiable, as being easily manipulated. Uh, The Diebold document whistleblower, Stephen Heller, joins me next to talk about that and about the arrest and charging of another election-related whistleblower last week. That would be NSA contractor, ironically named reality winner. Steve Heller joins us next to discuss that and more on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away.
2: Just keep your wits together.
3: That's the safest way to keep it.
2: These are critical times. Be careful of espionage. In such critical times,
3: you've got to watch out for sabotage. Oh,
1: you do. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. On Friday of last week, AP reported Chelsea Manning, believed she had a, quote, responsibility to the public and didn't think she was risking national security when she leaked a trove of classified documents. This is according to the soldier in her first interview since being released from a military prison last month. The 29-year-old, formerly known as Bradley Manning, said in a pre-taped interview broadcast Friday on ABC's Good Morning America that she was prompted to give the 700,000 military and State Department documents to WikiLeaks because of the human toll of the death, destruction, and mayhem, her words, uh, that she saw as an Army intelligence analyst in Iraq. She told ABC that she had, quote, accepted responsibility for her actions. She said, no one told me to do this. No one directed me to do this. This is me. It's on me, she said. Manning was released from a military prison in Fort Leavenworth, Kansas, on May 18 after serving seven years of a 35-year sentence, which was commuted by former President Barack Obama in his final days in office. Obama said in January he felt justice had been served. Manning remains in the Army, but she's off duty while she appeals her court-martial conviction. Also last week... A judge ruled that a young woman charged with leaking secrets to a reporter will remain jailed until her trial after prosecutors argued that she might possess more stolen intelligence and could try to flee the country. U.S. Magistrate Judge Brian Epps denied bond on Thursday for 25-year-old Reality Winner. Winner worked for a U.S. government contractor in Augusta, Augusta, Georgia. She is a former Air Force linguist who speaks Farsi and Arabic. Prosecutors don't think Winner is a jihadist or terrorist sympathizer, but they say that before she left the military, she inserted an external hard drive into a top-secret computer there. They say they don't know what happened to that drive or what it might contain. Winner's attorney say she should be released, and prosecutors are exaggerating the threat that she poses. Well, the documents in question that were released by um, by Reality Winner, subsequently published in a redacted version by The Intercept, uh, were top secret NSA documents and NSA analysis that charged that Russian intelligence used spear phishing attacks to gain access to the email account of a voter registration firm in Florida named VR Systems prior to the presidential election last year. And then they use that access to obtain access to the computers of election officials around the country. Computers which are often used to program voting machines, electronic tabulators and voter registration systems. Winner has now been charged under the Espionage Act of 1917. Which another whistleblower, an NSA contractor who leaked documents to the Intercept, a man by the name of Edward Snowden, uh, said last week were absurd charges. In a uh, in a statement published after uh, news of Winner's arrest and charge were uh, were released, Snowden said Winner is accused of serving as a journalistic source for a leading American news outlet about a matter of pop- critical public importance. For this act, she has been charged with violating the Espionage Act, a World War One era law meant for spies, which explicitly forbids the jury from hearing why the defendant acted and bars them from deciding whether whether the outcome was to the public's benefit. Snowden writes this often condemned law provides no space to distinguish the extraordinary disclosure of inappropriately classified information in the public interest otherwise known as whistleblowing, from the malicious disclosure of secrets to foreign governments by those motivated by a specific intent to harm their countrymen. Snowden went on to say that no matter one's opinion on the propriety of the charges against her, we should all agree that Winner should be released on bail pending trial to hold a citizen incommunicado and indefinitely while awaiting trial for the alleged crime of serving as a journalistic source should Outrage us all. That was Edward Snowden last week. Now, we had opened up the phone lines uh, on this issue during a uh, broadcast last week. We received some interesting thoughts from listeners on this. I may play one of those calls in a moment, but first I wanted to get some thoughts from someone who has gone through, well, damn near anyway, damn near precisely, I suspect, the the same agonizing dilemma that Reality Winner likely faced. Uh, in deciding whether to release documents that she felt the public needed to know about. While working as an assistant in a law firm in, I believe it was 2004, Stephen Heller came across documents in which, essentially, the law firm Jones Day was recommending to its client at the time, Diebold Voting Systems, that they lie about uncertified hardware and software that the company had installed into uh, touchscreen voting systems which were then used out here by the state of California. Heller turned the documents over to the nonpartisan election integrity watchdog Bev Harris at blackboxvoting.org and the documents subsequently made their way to the press and to the California Attorney General's office thereafter. The Diebold systems in question, at least out here in California, were shortly thereafter decertified. But Heller faced felony charges for leaking that uh, attorney-client-privileged information to the media and, no doubt at the time, faced a similarly uh, agonizing dilemma that so many whistleblowers like Reality Winner, like Chelsea Manning, like Edward Snowden, and yes, like Stephen Heller, have gone through. Here to offer his perspective on the Winner case and perhaps on the On the fact that the same unverifiable voting systems made by the same company, Diebold, the same company which was lying about their systems back in 2004, those machines will once again be used. The same ones in the crucial U.S. House special election next week in Georgia. Joining us now to talk about all of that is Stephen Heller, who I should note uh, I've become a friend with over the years since first covering his story uh, more than a decade ago. And he has, uh, from time to time, served as a contributor to the Brad blog uh, throughout those subsequent years. Steve Heller, it's been a while, but welcome back to the Bradcast, sir.
4: Well, thank you, Brad. Thank you for having me on. I'm glad to be with you. Uh,
1: glad to have you here. Did I get uh, anything uh, terribly uh, wrong in my description? I tried to summarize your case uh, con- concerning Bold and Jones Day from back in 2004. W- was I uh, close enough?
4: Yes, you were more than close enough. Good (laughs) job.
1: We'll take it. All right, so let me start uh, for the moment uh, in Georgia, uh, Stephen. I I know you follow this stuff pretty closely. I mentioned in the last segment that the court uh, in Georgia has now rejected a lawsuit trying to force verifiable paper ballots in next week's upcoming U.S. House special election. Knowing what you personally so intimately know uh, about those machines and about that company, Uh, Do you find any reason to have confidence in whatever the results will be reported as uh, next, next Tuesday night in that highly anticipated race, Steve?
4: Well, the fact is no one can have real confidence in it because these machines are unverifiable. And with what we've learned about the information that Ms. Winner exposed just a short time ago about how our voting systems are under attack from Russia and possibly other foreign countries, as well as efforts at voter suppression from our own politicians, no, I don't have confidence in the truth of the results at all, even if they go the way I hope they go.
1: Well, let me talk about, uh, we'll talk about your specific thoughts. I know you have some on the reality winner case in specific, but I want to, what did you go through? Can you give us an idea what you went through, uh, the, the thought process that you wrestled with when you came across those documents? Uh, between Diebold and their attorneys that you felt the public needed to know about, despite the fact that leaking them was, I believe, unlawful. What what was sort of the, the, the process that went through your brain? Maybe that'll give us some insight into some of these other uh, whistleblowers.
4: Well, when I saw these documents, this was smoking gun proof that Diebold election systems had been using illegal, uncertified software, at least in their California voting machines, probably other states as well, and that uh, they, they had been doing that, and they planned to continue doing that. And that was something, of course, that made me very upset. I was very disturbed by that. Our elections are a key and fundamental pillar of our whole country. And so I was very concerned about that. Now, you're right when you say that releasing this information was illegal. This information that I saw was covered under attorney-client privilege. Mm-hmm. And I fully admit that violating attorney-client privilege is a very serious crime. Mm-hmm. But what is illegal is not always wrong. Mm. And I felt that the crime of violating attorney-client privilege in this single, isolated, discreet instance was worthwhile, that I had to get this information out to the public so that the people of California and the rest of the country would know that this corporation was diddling our elections.
1: Mm. You, uh... <clears throat> Did it take a while? I mean, had you uh, stopped to think about this for some time after seeing the documents before you said, I need to get these out? Or was it something that just occurred to you? This is wrong. What I'm seeing uh, is is wrong. And whether it's unlawful or not, the public needs to know about it. How how quickly did that process happen for you?
4: I thought about it overnight. I was working nights in those days, working Mm -hmm. like the second shift, I think four to midnight or five to one, something like that. I saw those documents one evening. I went home, laid awake pretty much all night, worrying about it, stressing about it. The next day, worrying about it, stressing about it. That evening when I went into work, I printed out the documents and took them home with me.
1: You wrote to me last week uh, to say that you had some flashbacks, I think was the word you used, uh, (laughs) reading about Reality Winner, seeing information on elections again, uh... allegedly being manipulated undermined and so forth uh... and and knowing that she had to keep quiet about it so uh... did did you feel a specific uh, kinship with her more than uh, other uh... let's call them uh... whistleblowers leakers whatever you want to call it uh... Yes. In reading her story
4: yes i did i mean the fact is that both of us there's a lot of key differences in our situation but there's a lot of striking similarities Both of us saw information that provided smoking gun proof that our elections are under threat, under attack. Mm -hmm. Uh, The information I saw was a a threat or an attack from a corporation, Diebold Election Systems. And, of course, in her case, the information she saw provides smoking gun proof that the Russians are attacking our election systems as well. And either way, it's a terrible situation and a threat to our entire democracy.
1: I, I well, I may dispute you whether it's a smoking gun proof or not, but there are certainly allegations, uh, certainly evidence, and frankly, to me, the biggest uh, revelation from those documents uh, is nothing really new, but it just underscores. How vulnerable our elect- electoral system is. Uh, how uh, bad actors, be they foreign countries, be you know, be they uh, partisans here in this country, frankly, be they uh, you know, election officials who want to see a certain outcome. How easy it is to access those systems and take them over in a way that no one will ever know.
4: Absolutely, that's very true. And I think the message in both Ms. Winner's situation and mine is essentially the same. Our elections are under attack. And we Americans can't be complacent. We must protect our elections, keep them clean, fair, open, untainted by either corporations or foreign nations or our own politicians and election officials who might try to limit access to the voting booth based on the perceived voting tendencies of certain demographic groups.
1: Uh, Stephen Heller, you, um, Ed, Edward Snowden has uh, said that uh, reality winner is being inappropriately charged for committing espionage here. Uh, the laws that we tend to use against uh, whistleblowers like this or leakers, whatever you want to call them, don't seem to be very helpful. It seems a ridiculous charge to suggest that she was trying to aid a foreign power, which is what, you know, espionage uh, laws are all about. Uh, and and worse, that that law, as it's written, disallows her from explaining why she did what she did. I know that Snowden has said something similar, that if he's, you know, one of the reasons he does not want to come back and face charges is because he knows under the Espionage Act, he can't really make his case as to why he leaked the documents that he did. When when you were charged with leaking documents uh, that were attorney-client privilege, were you at least allowed uh, to make the case why it was that you were, you, you, were, you did what you did?
4: Well, had we gone to trial, it's, it's likely that the judge would have said uh, any information about why I did what I did would not be germane to whether or not I actually did steal the documents. I think I probably would have been barred from entering any information about the reason I did what I did. So it's impossible to say for sure because mm-hmm. we didn't go to trial. I pled yeah. guilty. But nevertheless, I think it unlikely I would have been allowed to do so. And likewise, I think it's not a surprise that they're charging Reality Winner under the Espionage Act because they don't want her, should she one day get before a jury, to be able to explain, look, this is what I saw and this is why I did what I did. They don't want that information out. They want to keep her in jail, keep her uh, without bail, which is ridiculous. If they're really afraid of her fleeing the country, take her passport away. But anyway, I I don't think it's a coincidence that they're charging her under the Espionage Act. They want to keep her quiet.
1: Should, I mean, you know, if you rob a bank uh, and you're caught, you can go in and make the case, well, I did it because my, you know, elderly uh, grandmother needs medicine, and this, you know, may be a mitigating factor when the jury is deciding either whether to convict you or what the sentencing should be. Um, So you feel here that it's... I mean, someone like you, if you had gone to court, uh, would you have made the case, would you have wanted to make the case why you did what you did? Shouldn't you have that right, at least in court, to do so?
4: I would think you should have that right, regardless of the crime, unless in doing so you'd be revealing more classified information. Mm. But in Ms. Winner's case, she could make the case that this is why I revealed the information that is already out, and so she wouldn't be revealing anything new, and in my case, had we gone to trial, I could have done the same thing. Look, this is what the information I exposed said. It's already out there. I'm not exposing new attorney-client privilege information. This is why I did what I did. But again, there's no way to know whether the judge would have allowed that. Stephen,
1: let me play you this uh, call, because what we haven't gotten from you so far, uh, because I haven't asked yet, is, you know, what you feel about what she did, if it was the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do. But before you give me Your thoughts on that. Let me play this uh, this this conversation I had with a caller last week, a guy by the name of Tully, who feels uh, very strongly that what Reality Winner did in releasing those documents to a uh, to a media outlet, that it was that it was wrong, period, that there is nothing that can change that fact. Let me play this uh, conversation. Tully in Orange County. Hey, Tully, welcome to the broadcast. Hey, Brad, thanks for taking my
2: call. Sure. I want to talk about the uh, reality winner situation. Uh huh. Yeah, so uh, I worked in the military intelligence community as she had, had done before. She started working for this contractor, right? Right. Contractor with the NSA. So here's the deal uh, when you go to work for these people, when you go to work for the National Security Agency, mm-hmm. you have to take an oath of fidelity and you have to raise your hand. And you have to sign all kinds of confidentiality documents okay mm-hmm, right so you are surrendering the right to make a decision about you know leaking documents that's not an option okay
1: mm-hmm. uh, and, but so, sh- but uh, w- w- whether you're making that oath or not, if you are releasing something that you feel is uh, of uh, I- a great public interest perhaps in the uh, interest of national security um, right, that's that's
2: the argument. That's yeah. the argument. However, yeah. uh, you don't have the right. Number one, you don't have the right to make that decision. You already surrendered your right uh-huh. because you're no longer on the outside. You're on the inside. And number two, if you do that, you are committing a crime, mm-hmm. and then you have to be willing to take the consequences.
1: And and if uh, if a, a a serious crime is being carried out, if a constitutional, uh, if the Constitution itself is being violated, also. You're you're suggesting you do not release that information to the public.
2: Well, I hear you, but unfortunately, when you take a job with yeah. them and you give an you have an oath of fidelity, you know you are not in a position to uh, you know make that kind of call. All right. You you've already given your word and made a commitment.
1: You know, to keep those secrets. Yeah. Well, uh, I hear you. I appreciate uh, I appreciate those thoughts, Tully. Um, I'm not sure I agree with them, particularly if we're talking about uh, revealing uh, crimes, revealing uh, violations of the Constitution, national security issues. I don't know that what Reality Winner actually released rises to that level. I'm I'm not sure how I feel about that yet. Um, but uh, but I hear you, and I appreciate that call. That was uh, my conversation with uh, with caller Tully on last week, one of last week's uh, broadcasts. Uh, Stephen Heller, um, your, your thoughts on that? You were working at a, a, at a law firm. It was unlawful for you to release the documents that you did. Um, you signed a contract saying you would not do it. Uh, should should you have done it? Should uh, Reality Winner have done it? Was she right to leak those documents?
4: Well, you know, I respect Tully's position, and just as in my case, there were those who said, look, regardless of how important this information was about our elections and what Diebold was doing, attorney-client privilege is sacrosanct, and you can't violate it. And to a certain degree, I agree with Tully and those who said that about my case, You can't just violate attorney-client privilege and expect to get away with it. And one of the things I used to say when I was doing a lot of public speaking about this after my case was concluded and I had pled guilty was that I admitted violating attorney-client privilege, which is what I did, is a very serious crime. And I had to be held accountable for that crime, or else attorney-client privilege could conceivably have been weakened a little bit, at least in the state of California. I think charging me with felonies was overkill. Uh, Misdemeanors would have sufficed. But nevertheless, I admit and acknowledge that what I did was a serious crime and I had to be held responsible. And the fact is that what Reality Winner has done is also a serious crime. And I think if you leak NSA secret documents, top-secret material, you do have to be held accountable for that we can't just say oh well in this case we'll let it go because then the next case and the next case et cetera the slippery slope theory Mm -hmm. but i will repeat what i said before what is illegal is not always wrong there's no question that if she did indeed leak these documents as is alleged that was illegal but is it wrong reasonable minds may disagree same as in my case Mm.
1: If you were faced with that same dilemma, uh, knowing what you know, knowing what you went through, do you think it was, (laughs) I don't know how to put this, the right thing to do, even though it was wrong?
4: It would be a very tough call because the legal jeopardy that she faces is much more severe than what I faced. Even though I was charged with felonies, it was extremely unlikely I'd ever have to go to prison and i pled guilty to a felony but i i was never in handcuffs i never spent one minute even in a holding cell Mm -hmm.
0: the legal
4: jeopardy that she has put herself in is much much more serious and i just don't know if i would have had the cojones to release Mm -hmm. that information or if i would have said look i can't risk going to prison for years i got to keep my mouth shut i don't know what i would have done but i respect her choice even though like i say it's a crime what she did or Mm -hmm. is alleged to have done it's a crime but it's also a very tough choice to be in and i respect her integrity for doing what she did
1: uh last last thought here uh steve uh, we, you know we often see whistleblowers uh, like reality winner and and others attacked uh, as being you know opportunists. They're looking for book deals. They're trying to draw attention to themselves as celebrities. But you know, as as one whistleblower I've interviewed uh, over you know the last several years told me, whistleblowing isn't exactly the sort of thing that employers like to see on their resume. Uh you know how do you speak to that to those people who say oh they're they're doing this for fame and fortune uh and and have you had had trouble getting work uh, after what you did those years ago
4: well i don't think anyone is a whistleblower for fame and fortune uh whatever notoriety it might bring you does not help your bank account at all and in fact my wife and i because of the crime i committed we were dangerously close to having to declare bankruptcy and dangerously close to losing our house so i don't think anyone does this for fame or fortune and in terms of future work opportunities I never again could work in the field where I was making a very good living in those days. I was this was in the early 2000s. I was making I'll, I'll just tell you I was making in the, the low 50s to I'm sorry the high 50s to low 60s with full benefits, and that to me is a pretty good job. And I was out of that. I was out of work for seven years before I retrained in a new profession, which I'm working in now. So uh, for those who say, "Oh, she's just after notoriety or fame and fortune," that's a lot of bull. Those people don't know what they're talking about.
1: There is, uh, there's more than a bit of irony in all of this. There was a cartoon that uh, uh, our own uh, P. Diddy, Perry Dorel uh, published uh, in our Sunday Tunes feature at Bradblog.com this week. Don't know if you saw it. I did see that. Uh, it's yeah. showing uh, cover-ups, alternative facts, fake news, and then reality, in this case, the NSA contractor reality uh, winner, uh, being locked up in jail. Uh, irony abounds uh, all over the place these days, uh, and it's troubling and it's confusing. and uh, Steve, uh, really appreciate you explain helping us understand a little bit about what whistleblowers uh, must be going through, what certainly what reality winner is now trying to uh, to figure out as she moves forward. and Uh, So thank you for that, and by the way, even though we're now, boy, uh, what are we, 13 years on, thank you for deciding to release those documents on on Diebold uh, all of those years ago, Stephen.
4: Well, thank you for having me on, and I'm glad to be here and glad to try to help this country out at least a little bit.
1: Thank you, sir. I may bother you again to do exactly that. Stephen Heller, the Diebold Document Whistleblower. You know, it's, it's, uh, if you got any thoughts on this, because I realize this is not an easy question for talk radio, uh, particularly where things are supposed to be black and white, and, you know, you're supposed to, this guy's a bastard, this guy's a saint. Uh, none of this is easy. None of this is. And so we try to cover the not easy questions. If you got any thoughts on this, feel free to drop me some email. Bradcast at Bradblog.com. Maybe I can share some of your thoughts later this, uh, this week. Keep it short and sweet if you can. Increases uh, the possibility I can use it on air. Um, but it's a, it's, a, it's a tough and interesting question. I'm not sure what I would do in that case if I would be willing to face jail.
3: Yeah, there are like there are Stephen so was. many different aspects to it, and and this is of course these are not the same situation between what Stephen went through and what reality winner is going through, as he pointed out. But you know these are these are sticky issues with no easy answers.
1: No, and uh, whistleblowers pay a huge price. So I would suggest the nation is much indebted. To Steve Heller. Okay, quick break. Uh, Some uh, some uh, actually some uh, new election news that is just coming in over the wire concerning Ah. an election on uh, Tuesday. Uh, And oh, yes, it looks like Fox News, Fox News themselves may be turning on Donald Trump.
3: A little. (laughs) A little.
1: We'll have that uh, and maybe a little more after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away.
3: (laughs)
1: Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Well, it is primary election day on Tuesday in Virginia, in that state's gubernatorial race, pitting uh, Lieutenant Governor Ralph Northam against uh, his uh, challenger, Tom Perriello. These are both Democrats. Perriello uh, has got the backing of Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders, But he also has a powerful enemy, according to Ryan Grimm over at The Intercept. Now, Ryan, by the way, is one of the four reporters over at The Intercept who broke that story with those documents from uh, allegedly from Reality Winner. Grimm is now saying that Dominion Energy, uh, the state's big power company, do you know this company? uh, Yes. uh, In Virginia. Yes. Um, He's got a story at The Intercept today about how the utility company is trying to get out the vote to uh, in the in the Democratic primary, essentially to get them to vote against Perriello. The reason apparently has to do with uh, this uh, this great big pipeline that uh, Dominion wants to build from that'll stretch from, I guess, West Virginia to Virginia down to South Carolina and uh, the CEO of the company sent out an uh, some email, a couple uh, actually several letters to some 76,000 current and former employees. Suggesting that they take time to review the candidates positions and see how they stand on critical projects like the Atlantic Coast Pipeline. Perriello, uh does not want it built. Uh, Northam is not wants to leave it up to federal regulators, basically, to decide Which
3: would be the Trump administration. Right. To decide whether to approve this pipeline.
1: And this all happened at the same time that uh, Goldman Sachs came out and said, uh, quote, one of the leading Democratic Party candidates has openly discussed opposition to some of the new pipelines proposed in Virginia. So Grimm says the message is clear enough. Uh, The state-regulated utility wants to pick the most favorable regulator it can in the Democratic primary. And then, of course, they will uh, likely favor the Republican nominee, Ed Gillespie, when it comes time for the general election. Um, So that's That's a pretty
3: big, heavy hitter uh, coming in trying to push people to vote a certain way.
1: The idea that companies have any say at all. Companies cannot vote. So they should not have any say. They should not be able to put any money into these elections, much less pick a side like that and tell their employees, hey, it would be good if you did us a favor and voted for uh, this this candidate or that candidate. Okay, very quickly before we get out, uh, Fox News, Fox News, Fox News is Neil Cavuto over on the Fox Business Channel. This was last week. Um, came out, I would say, full guns here against Donald Trump, blaming everyone else, blaming the fake news media for Donald Trump's problems. Here's, uh, here's this rant from Cavuto last week on, uh, on Fox News.
0: He tweeted, and I quote, the fake mainstream media is working so hard trying to get me not to use social media. They hate that I can get the honest and unfiltered message out. Mr. President, it is not the fake news media that's your problem. It's you. It's not just your tweeting, it's your scapegoating. It's your refusal to see that sometimes you're the one who's feeding your own beast and acting beastly with your own guys. Those are your guys, Mr. President. They're on your team, Mr. President. And right about now, they seem shell-shocked and dejected, though looking at their deer in the headlight eyes, I bet they're too afraid to tell you. Now, they're not perfect, but they do have your back. As no less than the Wall Street Journal muses today, do you have theirs? Mr. President, they didn't tweet disparaging comments about a London mayor in the middle of a murder spree. You did. They didn't create that needless distraction. You did. They didn't turn on a travel ban that you signed. You did. You're right to say a lot of people are out to get you, Mr. President. They are. But as the Journal pointed out, the buck stops with you. Look at these critiques you're now hearing from usually friendly and supportive allies. Sort of like an intervention. Because firing off these angry misses and tweets risks your political destruction. Quoting the Journal. If this pattern continues, Mr. Trump may find himself running an administration with no one but his family and the Breitbart staff. People of talent and integrity won't work for a boss who undermines them in public without thinking about the consequences. Consequences for them and you mr. president and the journal most goes, they like you they like your agenda I find it ironic that on this the 73rd anniversary of D-Day some of your most ardent backers are desperately girding for another battle not for Normandy for normalcy that is what your most ardent supporters are pushing for for you to keep pushing they want you signing legislation not settling endless scores remember no one ever said that Harry Truman didn't have a temper or that Ronald Reagan a long memory they just preferred giving their critics hell than telling them to go to hell. Now, just because your own critics never thought that you'd make it to the White House does not mean you shouldn't listen to those who want you to thrive and succeed in the White House. They're not the problem, Mr. President. Like I said, these days,
1: you are. Ouch. Neil Cavuto uh, of Fox News, citing Wall Street Journal, also owned by Rupert Murdoch of Fox News, telling Donald Trump he is the problem. Hasn't been a good few days for Donald Trump. Hasn't been a good few weeks uh, for him or months at this point. Uh, we'll see if they ever turn better. Until then, my thanks to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It is greatly appreciated. If you missed any portion of today's program, you can download it for free anytime at bradblog.com. My thanks, of course, as ever, to our producer, Desi Doyan, to my guest today, Steve Heller, you can drop me an email if you want. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I hope you'll find, follow, and share us worldwide. In both places, I am simply the Brad Blog. That's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.